welcome to our final week of Bible study. I cannot believe we're here. Um, I have to say, this has been a giant experiment, and I hope by the time you listen or view this talk that it's still happening. So um, as far as up to now, I just really appreciate all the encouragement, all the participation, and I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. So things have been a little different this semester, and we will hopefully have our next semester planned by the time you see this, or at least being um, thinking about it. Um, so hang tight, but thank you. Thank you so much for participating in our Genesis study in the fall of 2020. So this is our big wrap up. We um, are going to, we've talked about Genesis, but I want us to go back and look at how God's plan of salvation is getting us back to Eden, except it's going to be better than Eden. Um, Nancy Guthrie has a Bible study called Better Than Eden, which I really like. I have not done it yet, but she is one of our resources for this study in your homework. And so I, I think that's probably a really great way to put it in that Eden was perfect, but what we're going to have when Jesus comes back and establishes his rule for everyone to see is going to be even better. But I want us to review and for our first point, look at paradise that was lost. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, you brought us this far. You are so good to us. Thank you for Genesis. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you for all the stories of broken people, broken promises of people, but not of you, God. Thank you for making us giving us our life, and giving us, most of all, hope for the next one. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at uh, what God made. Let's just review the cards. Let's read the bidding. First of all, He made a place, a whole world with a special garden. He made a people. He made this couple that they were to multiply and rule and tend this garden. And he walked with them. He gave them his presence. So those are the three th the words, the three P words that we've been seeing all in Genesis is he made a place, a people, and his presence was with them. There were blessings in this paradise, a marriage, work, Sabbath. It was a beautiful world full of creativity and order and pleasure and wonderful food and animals and just beauty. And then we hit Genesis 3 and beyond, and sin wrecked this creation. Uh, the relationships between Adam and Eve, the relationships between Adam and Eve and God, um, we see just, just out, the outpouring of sin and Cain killing Abel and just the mess we see leading up to Noah when God says, I can't take it anymore. I got to clean off the earth. All these things. We've just seen death come into the hearts of mankind, into the world of mankind, and physically to mankind. But we've also seen these other things. We've seen the idea of sacrifice covering Adam and Eve. We've seen the sacrifices um, covering sin and the ram in the thicket with Abraham where there was a, a sacrifice that was a substitute for his son. Um, we see the idea of Abraham believing in resurrection, that there is something else, that God is going to keep his promises even when they don't make sense. 
this idea of covenant and relationship and promises that that tie God together with a people and that there is going to be something, someone, there's going to be a seed, a person that is going to undo the damage that happened in Eden. We've also seen that our Bible heroes are not going to be this person. Uh, We've seen how God was right after the flood when he said the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. There's no getting around this just just total depravity. Everyone is born with a sin nature. No one is going to be able to save not only themselves, but the world. And so we see that this... This, this hero has to be different, has to come and not be one of us. We also see this play out after Genesis curtain closes. We see a wayward people with Moses wandering in the desert for 40 years. We see the 12 tribes of Israel fighting with each other and intermingling with the Canaanites later once they establish themselves in the promised land. We see the time of judges when God's people are in this cycle of sin, uh, consequences, repentance, then sin again. We see centuries of kings, good and bad, not providing the security and stability to God's people that only God can give. And we see 10 of those tribes, 10 of those dirty dozen boys, descendants, being taken away after decades of not following God, taken out of the promised land and just kind of disappearing in Assyria. And finally, we get down to two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, And they are getting carted away to Babylon because they've been so bad. And is is this it? Is this when God's patience is finally done? Is this going to be another Noah's Ark moment where God says, I'm sorry I even started the salvation plan with Abraham's family? Had God finally had enough and had we finally messed up too much? we fast forward to Israel in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see that God is putting his last two tribes in exile. A country called Babylon came in and is carting away piece by piece people. And they've only, they're only leaving the, the poorest or the least important people in the land. And it's just, just, it's just sad. It's sad to see this glorious, rich country and, uh, of God that he had blessed after years and years of his people being unfaithful, of God putting them basically in a really bad timeout moment. And it's that point that we hear Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So a lot of the next few points are coming from Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and we're going to read those passages. But first I want to read Ezekiel 36, 33-36. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Okay, that is really cool given that we are talking about how is this ever going to be undone. Then it's going to say in 36, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted which was desolate. 
I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Okay, does this remind you of Genesis 1 and 2? God says, I'm speaking the word and it happened. And yes, you are being carted away. And yes, the promised land looks like someone just moved out. It's kind of like the Grinch that stole Christmas when after he had come through, there was just a nail with a little string and that little mouse going to get the little crumb that the Grinch stole. That's what Israel, the country looks like. And Ezekiel is telling them, this is what God says. I am going to rebuild it. I am going to make the waste places alive again and he is going to be glorified all the nations are going to see because what an embarrassment for all the countries to look at israel who was defeated and carted off to babylon the last little remnant for them to say i thought god was their god and god is saying i am going to take care of this and for those exiles to hear that and know that this is not a permanent consequence that there is still going to be a place and a relationship and these covenant promises have not been undone by their sin and unfaithfulness how comforting is that and that it is going to be like eden it is going to be what they had at the very beginning so maybe that helps you maybe you're in a desolate place maybe your sin and unfaithfulness has created a wasteland in your life think about the wasted cities ezekiel refers to and think about babel and how it got deserted after god undid their plans maybe you think about ruined cities after the flood and how they became god recreated the world after the flood and let it just be bountiful again Maybe you will see that the nations are going to see what Abraham had faith to see, that he left his home country to go to a land that no, where there was nothing. There were no cities for Abraham. And God is going to do this work. And apply it to those things in your life that are desolate. How can those waste areas of your life be like Eden? How can you, if you look up and you don't feel God's presence, and you're far from Him, and you don't see any of the promises coming true, and you wonder, have I screwed it up too much? And Ezekiel says, no, because God is going to finish that creation. And we, like Paul here later, what God began in you, He will finish it. Remember, we wrestle with a stubborn God. He will not let go of us. So how is this going to happen? Ezekiel says, no, these cities will be rebuilt. But we hear this new kind of language. We hear like there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a fuller experience of what has been happening in this covenant. So how do we look for paradise? Because we're between the paradises, right? We're not in the Garden of Eden God made, and we're not in the new heavens and new earth that are coming. We are stuck between the two paradises. And so we're going to read from Jeremiah and Ezekiel about this new covenant. And this doesn't mean that God said, you know what? What I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forget that. That was a bad idea. I'm going to have a new plan. It's not new like it's starting over. It's new in like the way we're going to experience it. And I'm just so excited. So let's read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 36. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Okay, let's pause it for just a second. Listen to what he's saying. He is saying, look, they screwed up. They basically cheated on me. I am their husband and they had an affair. They kept on leaving me. And we see this over and over. But he's saying, but I'm not quitting them. This is how it's going to be though. Instead of having a law printed on tablets, I'm going to have their law on their heart. And I am going to forgive them. I'm not going to remember their sin. I'm not going to remember the cheating. I'm not going to remember the affairs. I'm not going to remember how they left me over and over and didn't trust me even though I had shown and proven myself again and again. And then in the light of Genesis and in the light of creation, the creation order and in Noah's, the lesson on Noah, where God promises Noah there's going to be seed time and harvest. There's almost like there's this promise about sun and light and the oceans and this fixed order. And again, we see that creation God saying, I'm going to take the chaos of your sin and I'm going to create order and I'm going to impose my good over your sin and I will be destroyed. All of this will fall apart if I do not keep my word to you. So now let's turn to Ezekiel 37, 19 through 28. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph which is in Ephraim's hand and of the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to him, to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever and my 
and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Okay, now this passage is being given to those exiles in Babylon. And God is definitely encouraging them that you, I'm going to save a remnant and they will come back. And we know that for 70 years they stayed in exile. And God had said, even down to who, who was going to let them go back and rebuild. And we see that rebuilding if you look at Ezra and Nehemiah. But it, was, it never lasted, did it? So whatever Ezekiel is telling them is beyond that initial rebuilding back in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. So what are we learning here? We're seeing that there is something better coming, something better than a literal kingdom on a map on this earth, that what he's describing breaks the boundaries of time. And and notice, he's saying that King David is going to rule forever. Well, King David is dead. He died. He, he wasn't around. How is that possible? Is he saying that the person, Jesus, the son of David, will rule forever? So start looking at it as this is what the new heavens and new earth are going to be like. He is going to take his people, those children of Abraham who are his seed because of faith from all the nations. Remember what Jesus told his disciple: go into, unto all the earth. Go disciple, bring my people home. And from all around every culture, there are God's people that will come. So let's look because we're going to see the same three P words in these passages of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We see place. We see that this actual Palestine, this actual country on a map pointed to something significantly better. Um, we see Ezekiel 40 through 48 have this vision and this tour of this new temple that transcends reality. It somehow has elements of the city of Jerusalem, um, the Garden of Eden, and Mount Sinai, all in this kind of vision of this new temple. And we'll see Revelation 21 pick up this same theme with this angelic measurements. And according to Romans 4:13 we will inherit the world. That's land. That's place, people. (laughs) But also, he doesn't just see, we don't just see place alluded to here. We also see a people. We see a reversal of sin. We see that this is a a people that is alive and survives, Um, that there's restoration and resurrection and just because of time, I'm just going to point out these verses I'd love for you to look at. But Romans 8, 22 and 23 talks about the restoration, not just of us, but of the creation that is moaning under the way things are right now. We also see that wonderful story. I don't know if you grew up with that song about, you know, the leg bones connected to the thigh bone, that, that song. Anyway, we see the story, the vision Ezekiel saw in 37, 11 through 14 of this 
feel this valley of dry bones. We're talking bones like after a battle that are so dried out, the sun has dried out any flesh. They are like they have been there forever. They're just literal white dry bones. And God says, I'm going to put my spirit in them. And all these, all these bones connect and are alive. That's the kind of turnaround God's going to put in his people. Death, death is just nothing because God's power is so much bigger. The way you feel like with the church maybe being dry or your life being dry or, or what could God do with a valley of dry dead bones? He's like, watch out. My spirit, my spirit can make them stand straight up and do my bidding. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, and I am going to read this one um, because it just illustrates uh, what we saw in the garden. Um, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immor immorality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is when we hear the crush of Satan's head. When Adam and Eve were hearing God's words in Genesis 3, and God says to that snake, you're going to bite his heel. Yeah, you're going to do some damage, but he is going to crush you. And here is where we see God's people are victors through Jesus. So we've seen place, we've seen people. Now let's look at presence because that was the, one of the most heart-wrenching losses in the Garden of Eden is when God would come walk with them in the cool of the day and after sin, they had to be kicked out of the garden. And God, I mean, I can't imagine that loss. I mean, we can't even imagine that. He says in Ezekiel 37 and verse 21, I'm going to gather all my people who have been scattered. He is going to also multiply them and be with them. This is that Emmanuel principle. You know, Christmas, we sing about Emmanuel. That means God with us. And in Ezekiel 37, 26 to 28, we see the tabernacle will be there. This time is going to be there forever. This time this presence will not be broken. This time we stay put and God is able to stay put with us because we will not sin. We will not ruin it again because we will have a renewal of heart in Ezekiel 36, 26-27, we saw how the law of God is going to be etched on our hearts. This is new kind of language. And we see this in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit comes. And you feel it. You feel God's Word coming to mind through the Spirit. And it's just, it's just a whole new way of experiencing His presence. Um, the, the Hebrews writer also restates this in Hebrews 8, 9 through 10, and Hebrews 10, 17, and 18. And how is all this going to happen? Because God is not going to remember our sins anymore. Because they finally have been bought. 
The Messiah promise of Genesis 3.15 has happened and the deal was sealed at the cross. And this time is permanent. It's forever. The old has passed away, says Hebrews 8.13. Remember when we opened up the study, the very first lesson, um, I talked about this idea of covenant and how God had a plan and how we see it just eked out. And it was like a sonogram snapshot. Every time you got to see a more and more uh, uh, precise look at how God was going to accomplish this salvation. But they were like sonogram pictures. But here we go. It was never meant to just be a sonogram. All these things in the Old Testament were pointing to the real thing, this new way, this new baby. The Old Covenant was designed by God to be transcended. And the promises of people, place, and presence were going to be fulfilled in Jesus. We were never meant to hold a sonogram picture. We were meant to hold Jesus. And this is how there will be full restoration of all these covenant blessings. All the people, place, and presence, the Emmanuel principle, the, the promises that the scepter would never leave Judah's line in King David, the, the covenant to Abraham of a land and a people, and the Mosaic covenant you see in Exodus of we're going to obey. We're going to obey. Because God is doing it in us. And so paradise will be found. Because what Ezekiel saw, John also saw in Revelation 21. Um, all of this has been about what is coming. In 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, we see concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This has all been about what we started off on that road to Emmaus when Jesus unpacked what all the prophets had been saying that couldn't even fully see, but they knew. They were telling us. They were, all of that was for us. And even angels long to figure it out. They're just amazed to watch what God is doing with us. It's like a tango. It's like a dance. It's like a love affair and they can't figure it out because it's too good to be true. And we see, let's read in Revelation 21 and 22, what is going to be the culmination of this dance? Revelation 21, 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, 
Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, let's see the same things. See the language that even reminds you of Genesis 1 and 2 when it's describing Eden. First of all, there will, they're all here. Place, people, presence. The things that Adam lost for us, the second Adam Jesus buys for us to live with him in perfect and in an untouchable place. The writer of Hebrews says in 2, 3-4, tells us not to neglect so great a salvation. So how do we wait well for this fulfillment? How do we wait for what John sees? How do we wait for the day where there is going to be no more crying and that the leaves will heal the nations that are in an uproar all around us? What are your expectations for this life versus what God promises What is the trajectory of your life right now? Is it a trajectory that lands you in Revelation 21 and 22? Is is your mind on the people, place, and presence of God? How are you waiting for that? And shouldn't our present lives reflect some of this? Of How can you enjoy His presence now? Because we do and we can. How do you um, enjoy His people Who is that right now on this earth until he comes again? It's his people, his church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Where does that happen? In worship, in community. This doesn't just happen sitting there in your house by yourself. You're connected to other people. Are you having a relationship with this God? Do you recognize his voice when he calls you? Jesus said, my sheep know me and they know my voice. And believe me, he knows yours. How is, how is that happening in your everyday right now? Um, are you putting down roots in this physical place now with your energy, your money, your time? Are you, are you putting down roots in a, a temporary place that will be gone eventually? Or are you putting your roots down in this new heavens and new earth? I just want to close by reading Psalm 102, verses 25 through 28. The Hebrew writer actually quotes this psalm when he's talking about Jesus having victory over our future and that he, that all the things that will happen because of Jesus, this is the psalm he quotes. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you.
This is what I want us to remember about Genesis. That world God created in Genesis 1 and 2 is not going to continue forever. Something better is coming. Your world, your real home, your real experience of fully being in God's presence because you will have no sin. And the world you live in, there will be nothing like going on here. (laughs) There will be nothing like this. And God is securing it because He's going to take off this world like you and I change clothes. Like, you know, you come in from the gym and you're sweaty or you've been at work all day or you've flown and traveled on an airplane. You're like, let me get out of these nasty clothes. And you take them off and you put on something clean and comfortable. And that's what God's going to do with this world. And He wants you to be in it. So this is the incredible salvation that God does for you, sister. This in your wrestling, when you're wrestling like Jacob, or when you're trying to fix things and you screw things up like Sarah did, or you're lonely like Joseph was apart from his dreams. And when his life didn't work out the way he thought it should have, Jesus rules now. He rules right now in heaven. And he will come and you will see it for yourself in person. And until that day, when he puts on this new outfit that is going to be fabulous at this world, until then he prays for you, he loves you, he rules you. Let's close the study in prayer. Lord, you are good. Jesus, you, are, you rule right now. But I have to say we feel shaky. And we know it's true, but it's hard for us to believe it. And it really is hard for us to live like it. And I ask that these scriptures and these truths would stick. That when we see things, they would remind us of your creativity, your intentional work, the power of your word, and how that is going to recreate this new heavens and new earth, but that we get to be there. I pray for these women that they would remain faithful, that they would not neglect the salvation, that they would experience now that place that that is theirs, the presence of you in their hearts now, and your word in their hearts, and community and all around them. And that you, Lord, give them a people to be a part of, that they are not alone. I pray this in Jesus' your name. Amen.